everybody welcome back to the neutral zone podcast alongside paul de los santos i'm max mo this is episode six i believe and uh yep. we're in a good rhythm now it's uh getting close to that first key moment in the nhl season of american thanksgiving paul our teams are in very different places yeah they are but you know it's not as bad as it was at the start of the season i will say that i mean now they're kind of now we're in the groove here where sharks look they could like they can win and golden ass look like they can lose so it's just a normal hockey season now yeah we're in that normal hockey season look the sharks last couple games they've lost them uh right but they, it's been more of what we've expected i think last night's game against florida right we're recording this on the, the night of the 15th last night's game against florida you know they were down two to one and then they they took the lead three to two and then they kind of unraveled classic you know kind of what they did last year too but they um you know, they, they were competitive. They were better. There was, a you know, a lot more emphasis on defense today from the Sharks based on last night's results at practice. But, you know, it looks like Vegas is starting to look a little bit vulnerable. I, I you know, I, I want to get your opinion on this, Paul. Look, uh, to me, like when I watch Logan Thompson play, I, I, I'm i more scared. Like, I feel like he's just so like, I don't know if it's just because he catches with his right hand. It just seems different to me, and 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 if I don't know if you can speak on that, but obviously the Vegas, you know, back to the generalized, you know, they look a little bit more vulnerable, but still very good. They look like they're rolling now, but obviously we've talked about the Sharks a lot, but Vegas, they look a little bit more vulnerable, but you still expect them to be successful, obviously. Yeah, I do expect them to be successful. And back on your point about Logan Thompson, I think it's just that when you watch versus him versus Aiden Hill, it's kind of a juxtaposition because Aiden Hill, when excuse me, excuse you. Yeah, when we when he plays, he's a little more. You know, I had I had Jesse Granger explain this to me. He he's a lot more connected with yeah. his body. Logan Thompson tends to stab when his, when, his, when his catch with his catching glove, and he's not as connected as Logan Thompson. Uh, but he relies more on his athleticism, and that's kind of what it is. Is that I think Logan has been playing the goalie position with his athleticism and trying to train him to be a a more fundamentally sound goalie is kind of tough mm-hmm. i mean but I, I mean he'll be okay i think i think he's found i think they've found a good rhythm with the two of them in this road trip they're both gonna split they're gonna have two and two right now and then they'll figure out the fifth game next week but i think um yeah you're right there is a little bit more concern with thompson because he does tend to be a little wilder than hill i think you get more steady with hill but um thompson thompson is you know they're they're both adequate to good goalies they're not they're not they're not gonna wow anyone with their with their play but they're very much they're good enough for vegas which tells me they're good enough for most of the league if i'm pretty sure edmonton would want uh either logan thompson or aiden hill right now yeah i i would i would tend to agree with you i mean you look at you know a team like the colorado avalanche when they win the cup you know i don't want to knock darcy kemper he's a he's a very good goaltender but he's not an Igor Shosturkin, Elias Sorokin, or or Thatcher Demko for that matter. And you look at a guy like Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson. Yeah, Aiden Hill was terrific in the playoffs. I mean, even Laurent Brassois last year was really good. We haven't thought of him as like a starting net miner in the NHL. Really, excuse me, we're just all over the place. And mm-hmm. excuse me today, uh, really, really ever you haven't really seen him be thought of in Brassois as a starting goaltender. And and Aiden Hill and Brassois brought them a Stanley Cup. I mean, Jonathan Quick was successful in that in that in that defensive system. So I mean, look at the defensive system of the New York Rangers. Jonathan Quick is having a revival of his career. I mean, the, the Rangers' defense has been terrific this year, and it's it's showing on on Jonathan Quick. Uh, but you know, back to the Golden Knights, right? Like you know, they don't they need they need a goalie who can make 
you know, the, the save they're supposed to make and then maybe one or two extra. And both those goalies can. I think what you said, you know, more tethered, I think that's definitely a best way to describe Aiden Hill. He's a big guy. You don't really want to play in the puck too much. My one gripe that I have with, with Logan Thompson, and it showed on that Dylan Strom goal the other day, um, is it just seems like when you get him moving laterally, he can lose his angle a lot. And it looked like he gave Dylan Strom the entire far side of the net and he beat him so easily. And it just looked like Thompson was anticipating glove. And I think that goes back to what you're talking about with kind of the fundamentals and kind of simplifying and less stabbing. Yeah. And I think, and, I, and that's probably what Sean Burke is probably working on with Logan. I think this is kind of simplified a little bit. I think, you know, you're not going to catch Aiden Hill over committing on a puck. No, never. He's too big. He won't pull himself out of position. No, he won't. He won't pull himself out of position, though there are there are other issues with Aiden mainly, yep. as you mentioned, playing the puck sometimes. I mean, it's like <laughs> one out of ten, he'll screw things up. But you know, that's not still... as bad as Stuart Skinner. No, 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 it's not as bad as that. But the point is, is that they're both competent goaltenders in this system. And I think that's the big thing is that when they're facing 30, 35 shots, that's not the ideal like shots on goal, 30 to 35 shots, that's a normal load. But in Vegas' system, you don't want them facing more, above 32, I think. I think 32 is a sweet spot for them because they're. it just feels like the more shots they get through, the more exposed these goalies will get. I think if, yeah. they're, if they're not blocking shots, that means that means the goalie has to make more timely saves. And you know, Bruce has said a couple lucky bounces, they could be easily be not as good as they are. I mean that's how yeah. that's how hockey is. I mean it's just a weird weird sport in that aspect where you can play really well. It's kind of like soccer to a degree where you can play really well, still lose because the ball and puck doesn't bounce your way. Yeah, you know I'm I'm on NHL Edge right now. I'm, I mean I'm looking at Aiden Hill's chart. You know the biggest thing is you know his high danger save percentage is 8.46 league average is 7.85 that puts him in the 86 percentile. The one that jumps out to me is his mid range save percentage is 9.16. League average is 900. That only puts him in the 63rd percentile. So that kind of stuff that you're talking about, where if they're facing a lot of shots, you know, a lot of when that happens, a lot of times they get a lot of shots from mid to low range shots. It just seems like Aiden Hill can let in that squeaky one. That's always been kind of the knock on him. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, he's been, I mean, 175 goals against 939 saves. Like that's been terrific. But when you look at a guy like, you know, uh, Logan Thompson, let me pull him up here, right? Like Logan Thompson, his numbers should look similar. Actually, they look, you know, kind of similar, a little bit lower. He he's only, and this goes back to the to the, you know, to the stabbing. I think his high danger save percentage is seven ninety, only point zero zero five over league average. That's below the fiftieth percentile. But on mid range shots, he's nine seventy eight. So it's almost like polar opposites, right? Mm-hmm. And that kind of and that that kind of goes back to what you're talking about with. Logan Thompson is athletic. He likes to stab. He can make those big stretching saves. Aiden Hill wants to stay connected, stay close. He can make the saves in tight. He can make the saves that were, you know, that he could see, but he may struggle a little bit, maybe not as much as, you know, some other goalies. He's still a good goalie, but to make that big, you know, big long distance cross pass save, whatever the case may be. And that's, you know, that's where it comes out to some of the other numbers, you know, they're not necessarily too needed, but those are the numbers that I look at as just those mid range and those, those high danger chances. And you could tell just by those numbers, the style of goalie and and those numbers back up the stabbing, whereas, you know, you kind of stay centered in. Yeah. And and with Aiden, you know, he makes a lot of high danger chances, but then again, a lot of the goals he's given up. I mean, there's only been outside of the one where he completely just misplayed the puck. (laughs) I mean, he hasn't given up a ton of, like, the mid-range chances. I mean, you know, you mentioned that his number is in the 63 percentile. That's normally still not as good, but it's still a pretty solid number for a goalie, being being 63 above the, above, 
Mm-hmm. But the point is that a lot of the stuff, it's a weird bounce here, weird bounce there. Like, I think those are the goals that he's been given up, and those are coming from mid-danger chances rather than high-danger chances. Right. And- that's Well, when you get a shot from further out, that's where those mm-hmm. chances are going to come from. That's the deflections. That's the weird bounce off a leg because what NHL Edge is tracking is where that initial shot is coming from, right? So it, you may get one or two high-danger chances because they were deflected in front, but I don't even know if it's counting those, right? That's a question for whoever made NHL edge, right? Is a deflection in front like Frank Vertrano's the other night against the Sharks? Is that a high danger chance or is that a mid to long range shot because it was the shot from the point? Yeah. And those are the questions that, that only only the analytics teams know and only the teams that created NHL edge um, will answer. And, and and the thing is about about high danger chances, Vegas doesn't like giving up high danger chances. They really force teams to the outside and really want you to basically play like Pete DeBoer is just volume number. You're going to beat us through volume. If you're going to beat us, you're going to have to get volume against us. And, and it showed an example. Sorry to cut you up, Paul. You look at the Sharks Knights game that happened the other day. I mean, the Sharks lost what? Four, nothing, four, one, five, one, five, nothing, five, nothing. Right. They had nothing. And one of the things that David Quinn, sorry, there's been a lot of games and there's yeah, a lot going lot. on and, uh, you, you've had, they're on the road. This is your first real kind of, I got a break, mm-hmm. watch them on the road a little bit. Um, but you know, anyway, going back to the point, like, the Sharks, are, they're not a big team. They're a strong team. I will say that, you know, Zetterland is not the biggest guy, but he's strong. As, he's real strong. If you look at the defense of the, of the Golden Knights, they're huge. You're not getting inside position on them. And just keeping them to the outside, you just have this wall of defensemen that just don't allow anything into what David Quinn calls the small rink. And that's from uh, the inside hash mark, right? You, you've you got those, like, those L lines mm-hmm. next to the faceoff dots. Of the ones on the inside of the ice – Think of two parallel lines running up and down the ice through the middle of the ice all the way from that, or basically even with the goalposts. That's your inside ice, and the Sharks couldn't break through that Vegas defense. No, they, and that's what Vegas wants. They don't want teams in the slot area. They don't want teams in that small ice zone, and they don't want teams basically out physicaling them in front of the net. And that's the that was the big impetus behind the Barbashev deal. That was the big reason why Vegas traded for Ivan Barbashev. I mean, and it's probably the big reason why they kept him or Riley Smith. It's just he gets into those small ice areas, as you mentioned, and he scores from that position. He can he can box out against a bigger, bigger defenseman. So it's it's very much that's the area where games and lost in are games and games are won and lost in Vegas. If you can't win that slot battle, you're gonna have to find other ways to score. And that's what Edmonton found out last year is that you're not going to be able to outscore Vegas because their defense is just too good. Yeah, you can't. You maybe get the power plays, but they're not going to give you too many. And if they take too many power plays, too many penalties, they're going to shut it down. They're going to stop. They're they're a veteran team now. Like, it's crazy to think that you wouldn't think they're a veteran team. No, they're they're a pretty darn veteran team this quickly into their franchise. Yeah, they are. And the, the crazy thing is that established from day one, roughly, roughly when they made that Stanley Cup run, they made moves that, you know, teams are wondering, like, you know, letting – they had to make some difficult cap moves, letting go and like, some 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 hard ones too, just in terms of personalities of the team. Yeah, just hard ones and personalities of the team. But the point is that every move they made since they've gone for like what is the weakness of the team. I think they've just made you know you can't question what Kelly McCrimmon has done anymore. Like before, nope. you can, but he's brought a cup here, so it's Vegas is doing what it was. I think they're steady as she goes compared to the Sharks, where it's kind of like. You know, it's a roller coaster ride in terms of like which sharks team, and that comes from veteran experience. Where a veteran team like Vegas is going to be more steady, like you know they they they'll have a bad game, but then they'll bounce back. They rarely lose two in a row, so I expect them to bounce back tomorrow. 
on the 16th. So it's um it's interesting to see the dynamics of our two teams because you see one team that's slow and steady, just get through the season, just play it out, while you have another team that's still trying to find its identity. Yeah, for sure. They're trying to find their identity. And that's something that David Quinn talked about today at practice. I, you know, right before we started recording, I put out an article, you know, a, a mini, a mini deep dive, if you will, on, on the Sharks defense, because that's what they practice today. You mentioned boxing out in the defensive zone and getting in front of the net front of yours. That's exactly what they worked on today. David Quinn said, quote, we worked on net front, just box outs and being harder to play against. Like, that is something the Vegas Golden Knights do extremely well. Boxing out, not allowing people into the center of the slot, and not allowing high-danger chances. When you look at the high-danger chances, the first thing that comes to mind is how is Mackenzie Blackwood still alive? He has faced 412, sorry, that's total shots against, yeah, 412 shots against. 130 of them are high-danger. Same percentage. League, league 823, which is in the 72nd percentile. That's still pretty good. But, yeah. <laughs> Is he's got 107 high danger saves out of 130. That's in the 99th percentile for both of them because he's got the most. Mm -hmm. But mid range, we move to mid range. They he's faced 112 shots, right? 100 saves, 893 save. That is not the greatest. But if you look at what the Sharks are doing, they're allowing free and clear shots. They're not getting box out. They're allowing deflections in front. They're allowing teams to skate through and get you know. Although it is considered mid range shot. It's a free and open shot directly from the high slot. Maybe not necessarily the low slot where it's considered high danger. It's from like the middle of the faceoff dot all the way to the tops of the circles in a kind of a in a U form. The Sharks are allowing so many teams to get into those areas because they're rimming it around the wall. They're giving the net front. They're passing out in front. And this, you know, the location of it is, is you know, it can be changed. But then David Quinn adds on to the other thought and he says, quote, one of the things they uh, they did, they as in the Florida Panthers, and it happens throughout the league, is that uh, a lot – is that a lot of the weak side rims we're not ready for. We're allowing the back of the net way too much in our own end. That allows other teams to spend more time in our end. Mm -hmm. Now, based on those numbers that I just explained to you in those mid-range shots that are coming from Mackenzie Blackwood, like those are where it's like, that's where the, the rims are coming from. Cause it's going from behind the net to the half wall, to the, to the slot, maybe not the low slot, but the high slot, those mid ranges. That's why those numbers aren't there. But I mean, the sharks are just allowing so many high quality chances in that, in that V, you know, if you go from just below where the bench is all the way into the net, that's just where all the sharks are giving up all the chances. And that's, that's a terrible game to play. Well, not just that basically, I mean, to be fair, I think Vegas is a tough team to play for sharks because they haven't played oh, yeah. against it for a while, but I just didn't see any type of forecheck pressure at all in that game. I didn't see my like it's there was no pressure. You got easy entries, and it felt like I think we said on press row, this feels like they're constantly on a power play because that is gonna increase Vegas's zone time numbers like drastically. Because they yep. were in the offensive zone for so long that it felt like a power play. And you give a team like Vegas, who is not known for its offensive zone play before Bruce Cassidy got there, that is that's incredible that and a guy like Jack Eichel who likes to have the puck on a stick, it's only going to make his line mates better. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the shorty, you know, just all just every everything just went everything. Everything could, Vegas is good at, which mm -hmm. is what, stand, what makes Stanley Cup champions Stanley Cup champions is exactly what the San Jose Sharks are not good at. Well, I think I think I mean, the number was minus 500 and it was hilarious. I mean, I, we didn't think it would get that far in the NHL and NHL ever, but the time you think it, it could get to minus six hundred. <laughs> it got to minus. It got to minus six because people bet on them. Oh my! People took. The and, I mean, easy free, easy. I mean, it's free money at this point. Yeah, it's honestly. free money. Well, the reason why I think 
you know, and truthfully, like, I, I don't think the number, if you, if, if the number had started, like the number, I don't think it would have started that way. Had Vegas not lost two in a row. Yeah. They came out pissed off. Oh, they were, they were, they, they, they lost two in a row. They weren't happy. And San Jose is coming off a two game win streak. I think, I think the circumstances just did not work in San Jose's favor on that night. And it was the dad's trip. Oh, Oh, yeah, we saw the dads. We saw the dads in the lock, near the locker room. So we found out why Anthony Duclair was not available. He was sick. He had come down with a case of strep throat. Ooh. They said he lost. He said uh, tested. He lost about 10, 11 pounds. He's gained about six back. He'll, he'll be in the lineup tomorrow. First first time back in the lineup. But yeah, he's he. It, they didn't know what was wrong uh, until just recently. So he's on some antibiotics now, of course, mm. and he's okay. But I mean, he's been a key player for them. And missing him, he's physical. He brings some speed. Without him in the lineup, there's clearly a big hole. And he had just started going. He had four points in those two wins. So he just started going offensively, and the Sharks desperately needed it. So. Yeah, the Sharks desperate. They showed it. They need they need that NHL scoring threat that is still developing on their forwards outside of Hurdle. Outside of Hurdle, Hurdle's been much better as of late. Eklund had a rough game last night against Florida, but you know there were some moments, and I liked how David Quinn handled it. Right, you know, I'll, I'll take example for all the NFL fans that are listening slash watching. James Cook fumbled on the first drive of the Thursday night football, or sorry, Monday night football game, and was sat until the second quarter, and came back with a vengeance and rushed for a hundred yards. William Eklund turned the puck over four seconds into the game last night. And Blackwood had to make another ridiculous two on one blocker save. And then Eklund also had a chance to just chip it off the glass for as, as Fabian Zellin was crashing, uh, slashing through the middle of the ice up to the, his wing, the right wing. And Eklund, instead of just chipping for him to let him skate after, tried to slide it to the middle, got laid out by Ryan Lomberg, who was at the end of his shift still skating his ass off. And then Lomberg then continued the forecheck and eventually scored. That was with about seven minutes left in the first period. Eklund didn't play another shift to the first period, and it was with the till one minute left in the first period, and it was on the fourth line. David Quinn told us today that he had a discussion with Eklund in the first intermission. They talked about some things. They went over a couple of things, and then he put him right back on the first line. Kind of like what James Cook did, I think a little bit more. The kid is young. He's learning to play in the hockey league, and it, yeah, it didn't wasn't a big enough. But you're not in. You have no way of being like yeah, bench Eklund, put him on the fourth line. Like you know, David Quinn got a lot of lot of you know bad rap for the way he handled Lafreniere and Kako. And, you know, it's only going to make it worse with Lafreniere's success on that second line for the Rangers this year. Mm-hmm. But Eklund, maybe he learned from it. I don't think he was doing it, but like he put Eklund back in that top spot and they, they became an offensive threat. He was better. They had their moments, but like it was encouraging to see that, you know, Hey, we're sending a message. It's not a permanent one, but we need you to, Think, use your brain here. You got a little too comfortable. So that's the Sharks are working on developing an offensive threat, and Eklund will continue to get that opportunity. I've seen that more often, it feels like. I think I think we're hearing more stories about coaches benching players for not playing up to their potential a little bit. I think I think part of it is, you know, I think you and I, and now that we're fully in, in the NHL media now, is I think almost like we're noticing it more because we're almost more aware. I think this has happened more often, but, you know, as we've really started following more of just than our teams, we're kind of keeping an eye on the entire NHL. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm going to be voting on some NHL awards this year, but play fantasy hockey and, and things like that. Like, I just think we're more connected. We are colleagues with the hockey news. We're, we're following their stories. We're seeing news come through our feeds just directly to us. So I think that's part of it. But at the same time, it still feels like there's more benchings. Mm-hmm. Especially big name players. Like, you know, Tom, like uh, Timo Meyer was a really the big That was the big one. That, that was, was the, the first, first big one. one. Then Johnny Goudreau later this year. And it just feels like 
you know, coaches, I think, I think coaches are now realizing that in the, re- I think regular season, you have to make these messages. You have to send these messages. If you don't send and early messages, and early, I think, I think they'll slow down. I think the, but I think overall, like when pl- points are on the line, you can't take the risk. I think early on in the season, you can take that shot. I think that's why it's valuable to do it now early on while, you know, while you're still in it a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, some teams are out of it. Like I think only, uh, yeah. I mean, Edmonton can still go on a run that fabled run they keep talking about. <laughs> They'll go on one. McDavid will get hot. But look, so Timo Meyer was benched on October 16th against Florida. Mm-hmm. Next three games, two assists, one assist, goal. And then he went on a one, two, three, four, five, six game point streak. And in that, he had two, three, four, five, six goal, six assists, two goals, six assists. And he was great. And he's been playing 20 minutes a night ever since. And he scored. He's on a three-game goal streak. Like, that message was sent and received. And for a team that lost Jack Hughes, that was much needed. Now, you mentioned Johnny Gaudreau. He's uh, still not doing well. So that's that's for another story. But you look at these benchings, right? I like the way this benching in specifically was handled because he's, you know, Quinn said he's, you know, he's learning how to play hockey mm-hmm. as a 21-year-old in the NHL. Yeah, and, and you get, like, it's different if you're William Eklund who's playing badly and you're wondering why am I being benched and you need your coach to explain it. Well, let's say Jack Eichel has a bad game and he's, you know, he's sitting out, you know, he's sitting out a little bit, two, two, two or three shifts for Jack Eichel, two or three shifts is valuable. Yeah. Because he does everything on the ice mm-hmm. and it's not just offense. He does everything on that ice. Yeah. So you take him out for two or three shifts Jack is probably using that two or three shifts to reflect a little bit, check if the team still check the iPads and everything. Just, you know, and that's the difference is that I think William, I think Eklund doesn't know exactly where to look for on the iPad. So he'll need the coach to kind of look, tell him a little bit. Well, the experienced player, when they're, when they're sitting down is looking at, oh, where did I play bad there? You know, it's that self-reflection that comes with age. And it it reminds me a lot of, uh, I think it was the playoffs or maybe it was two years ago. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think it was playoffs against Pittsburgh two years ago. Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider when Kreider uh, threw the iPad away from from Zibanejad, if you remember that. Uh, Kreider, Zibanejad had a breakaway, and I think he hit the post on Deming or something, and he went back to look at it. And so I think what happened was Kreider threw it away. Like, he grabbed it, tossed it away with Tom Brady style, and said, you beat him, you just hit the post. What's there to look at? Or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's something funny. But obviously, you know, they are two veterans in the league. Like, they understand where to go, what to do, what they're looking at. And a guy like Jack Eichel, who is an underrated skater, but has the hockey IQ of Steve Eiserman, like... He's going to know, okay, I did this, I did that. A guy like Mark Stone who could come in for – talk to somebody like Brendan Brisson if he ever makes it to the show this year and be like, hey, do this, do that, do this, do that, right? Hurdle is playing with Zetterland, who's been terrific this season, and William Eklund. Zetterland, I think he's still finding his way, and he understands what he needs to do. But a guy like Eklund, like, clearly he needs – he's getting that push. It's You see in moments, you just need it to be more consistent now. And he's 21. Give yeah. him time, guys. He's 21, and very few – there's very few Connor Connor McDavid and Connor Bedards out there. I mean, everyone else is probably going to develop like Mark Stone and kind of take a few years to kind of. I mean, you could game. you could talk about Quentin Byfield, Alexi mm-hmm. Lafreniere, right? Those yeah. two were considered busts. Both of them are playing in top roles this year, and both of them are playing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you yeah, know, experience. Like, and it comes down to just taking time and learning what you do well and finding your role. And I think once you find out what you do well, find your role, and you know. And kind of take that pressure off that you don't have to be a superstar if you don't have to be. 
That's the best yeah. feeling. And you look at Connor McDavid, he has to be a superstar and it's not quite working out for him. And he, and the sad thing is that he doesn't because he has Leon Dreisaitl on that second line. They have to be superstars together. Yeah. And then that's not quite working out for that's him. That's not Excuse working me. out. That's just not, <laughs> it's just not, it's asking them to carry the load. And I think the load man, like I know load management is more of an NBA thing, but the <laughs> amount of like heavy minutes these two have played, I think it's starting to wear just a little bit on them. Like I think it's definitely wearing on McDavid. Maybe a little bit on Drysaddle as much, but I think Drysaddle just can't get a rhythm right now. There's no. so much changeover. He's a rhythm guy to me. Mm-hmm. I think it's wearing on McDavid. It's showing because I think he's hurt and then he's panicking and coming back early. Now, look, we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Pacific Division. We can jump on the Oilers right now. I think you and I can agree that Jay Roadcroft shouldn't have been fired and that somebody else in that organization should have been. Is that true? Yeah, I, I, I mean... Ken needs to go. I mean, but he's going to do everything to protect his job, which means firing Jay. I think. Right. I think what I understand too is I think Ken is if I think his contract is up at the end of the year, so uh, I think that also could be just an easy excuse for for Jeff Jackson to be like, "Bye, Ken." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I, I, I think the biggest well, reason why I say don't fire, I I was against firing Jay Wilcraft is like, who can you get? I mean, there's, I mean, they, right, and like like you fired a guy with an over six seventy win percentage, like. What, like for for a bad slump and like I don't get me wrong I like the high of Chris Knobloch Paul Coffey I don't quite understand but Chris Knobloch like cool but like if you're gonna like in that situation based on trends of of, of history of, of coaching is in the NHL like wouldn't you normally just hire a retread like I don't know like like everybody was thinking Gerard Gallant like it's early you're bringing in a guy who probably was deserving of an NHL chance this year he's you know he interviewed for the Rangers job but like like you fired Jay Woodcroft basically for Jay Woodcroft with different systems like Mm -hmm. why I don't know I don't know Edmonton loves foreign coaches they did I mean NHL in general loves foreign coaches true I mean there is a there's a short leash in NHL and it's not and it's not, and that's what that, and that's what makes like guys like Todd Todd Mc, Mc, Todd McClellan so valuable. Like, Bruce Cassidy was was somebody who should have been fired, and he's proven why. Yeah, he like, and so it's just it's just one of those things where you have to look at it and be like, someone needs to buck the trend and be like, we're gonna stick with a coach even through a slump, and I think the Sharks might try it with Quinn. I think the Sharks might try it with Quinn, but let me give you an example. Jared Bednar, John Cooper. Yes. Jared Bednar came in that first season where they had 58 points. Mm-hmm. Like they were awful. Yep. They were awful. And now look at him. He's one of the best you consider. I mean, I, I do. I consider him one of the best coaches in the NHL. Mm-hmm. John Cooper, same thing. He came in, got a senior scan final, and then everybody and their mother got hurt and they missed the playoffs and everybody wanted his head. And now he's the longest tenured coach in the NHL. Yep. That's, that's exactly how it goes. I mean, Vegas, I don't know. I mean, the other one, sorry to cut you up. Uh, the other one, I think Don Granado, Buffalo. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like now they're, they're without Tage Thompson for they said about two months, up to two months. It looks like I think he broke a bone in his arm. Mm-hmm. You know they haven't been up to, to they haven't been up to their standards. They've been without Tuck. Levi's been in and out. Like they just can't get sorted. I think they're a year too early. They pushed not pushed a year too early, but I think it takes it's going to give them half a year to to develop and get settled and then go. And I, I think he's another guy where. He's going to get the full year regardless. Like, there's no reason to fire him. The guys play for him. You've seen success, like, based on track record of success. When it comes to Edmonton, you look at the roster and you're like, oh, there's nothing here. Let's fire the coach. How does that make sense? It doesn't. And, and like, 
The only firewall offense Jay Woodcroft did was changing the defensive system. Yeah, and, and to me, like, he just tried to change the defense system, and then you look at the underlying numbers, and yeah, there was a couple of, you know, chances where it was like, okay, you probably shouldn't have done that. The net front wasn't bad, but there's an adjustment. The Rangers went through it last year, and mm-hmm. this year they're not, they figured it out except for second period. But he also couldn't get a darn safe. Nope. I mean, for the for his entire time, there was like none. Like he was getting worse saves, like more unlucky goals, like that should have been saved than the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. Like the San Jose Sharks are getting big save after big save, and sometimes they're still letting in those squeaky win, and they're still making more saves than the Edmonton Oilers. And you you send down Jack Campbell, who's doing awful, and you know, I there's this is worrisome for me, like. The, like his confidence is just gone. Yep. And you bring up Pickard and you say he's earned this chance and then you don't play him. So yeah. what's the point? Just leave Campbell up. You Let him Campbell work up, with the NHL club. It, it's a weird club and they're the second biggest market, you know, in the NHL. And it's weird in a sense that they have some weird contracts, man. I don't get it. <laughs> I'm just happy I'm not Caleb and covering that team because that's oh. a lot going on. I'm yeah. sure the clicks are great though. Oh, the clicks are probably great for that team. For that team, I mean, because it, it's a train wreck. It's a, a train wreck. <laughs> Calgary too, but that one's just that one's just sad. Yeah, that one's just sad because they. I mean, because you thought they would be a better. They, you thought they would be better. Like you know, everyone thought. Everyone thought like, just basically, the the way the Carroll's gone, out, let's fixed. Yeah. Dell's gone. It's fixed. No, you gotta go through a rebuild now. And now they, now everyone wants out. I mean, and I think it's been it's been five years too late for rebuild. I think yeah. they, the getting rid of Giordano was kind of this the sign of like, hey, like rebuild time. And instead of doing that, I think Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk saw the writing on the wall and said, "We want to go. We know what's going on." And they both left. Now I don't know why Johnny went to Columbus, but Matthew Kachuk was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go to Florida." And look what happened. And, you know, Jonathan Huberto, I like Uyghur, but like you've got three UFA defensemen and you knew that was happening. Yet you still went in for an all in push after you signed Huberto, who clearly isn't working. And Azim Kadri isn't working either. Like, it's just it's a weird way they try to go about things. And it just seems like every other year. Right. Like this year, they're terrible. Next year, they're going to be good and make the playoffs like every other year for the last seven, eight years has been one year bad, one year good, one year bad, one year good. And it brings you back. Exactly. Worse Nashville. It makes me remember, like, I remember that trend starting when Colorado first got back to the playoffs after that 58-point season, and Mike Smith was their starting goaltender for Calgary. <laughs> and then the next year, we're like, oh, Calgary's going to do great because they won the division. And then they finished, like, seventh. Mm-hmm. And then they made the playoffs next year, and then they didn't. It's just this trend. It's like, are, you, you're stuck in no man's land. Like, you got to either go or not, and they went too late. Yep. And and that's the thing, is that you could you go about things one way. You see a window... You go all in you, on the window, yep, like Vegas did, or you see the writing on the wall, and you're like, it's, "GMs have a tough job, man." I I would never want to be a GM. Timing is everything. Like, except for NHL 24, that's a fun time. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a fun time. But the point is, is that GMs, the timing on everything, and the fact that you have to sell an owner on, I'm going to rebuild. Right. You look at Mike Greer and David Quinn. Like Hasso's been very. Hasso Plotner has been very like, we're with you guys. But like, do you think Greer was sweating a little bit after those two 10 goal games? Like, 
as much as as like you can't go through two GMs in three in, in three years. Like that's just not no. You have to let Greer sit. He's got a plan. You got to give him a chance to build this. Something Buffalo didn't do, and there's something that I think the Sharks will need patience with. Like you got to give him time. There's clearly a plan in place, and in two years, the Sharks went from one of the worst prospect pools to the number thirteen, and it will only get better this year. Yep, only get better, and that's the and that's the absolute truth. I mean, that's that's how rebuilds work. It takes time. Now, Gerd is, you know, he says the right things. He doesn't want it to take 10 years like Buffalo. He didn't say like Buffalo, but that's my example. But look, Macklin Celebrini, you know, Cole Iserman, like no matter what, if they get the, the top three picks this year are all like around the same type of prospect level. Like they all could be number one picks. Yeah, Celebrini's a little above both just because he's a little bit younger and maybe that slightly bit of talent, but the two behind him, like, you know, Sharks fans, y- yeah, you want Celebrini and, and all that, but like... Y- you're don't, you're not going to be upset with anybody else. Like Will Smith's coming. Quentin Busty's been dominating. You know, Casper Haltonen has a ridiculous shot. And the Sharks desperately need goal goal scorers. And then you've got Will Smith, who's facilitate Haltonen on his right, Musty on his left. Like that's, and then you'll have Eklund Hurdle. Like that's they're setting up, and it's only going to grow. They are setting up, and that's the that's the thing about rebuilds is that there's there's a level of excitement for. There's a level of excitement for those types of moments and everything else. So, and yeah. I think the big that big moment of excitement will start after this season. This season's going to be sad and long. Yeah, sad, long, but you know what? That's what makes it. That's what makes sports fun, and that's why I always root for the worst NFL team. So you're a Jets fan, then, huh? They're not the worst. So Carolina Panthers, I know. Yeah, they're, they're brutal, man. Man, and they, they see that man CJ Stroud's real good. Yeah. He's really good. But mm-hmm. Paul, what do you got coming up? Obviously, we've talked about it at the start as we were wrapping up here. You got uh kind of not a week off, but like little little time to take a step back, really starting some features and stuff like that. Get a little bit, you know, not as much I'm going to the rink. I just that you can step back a little bit. What you got coming up on the site think, coming up this week? Yeah, I gotta gotta look at gotta look at the power play and kind of see where it settles in after these next two games. I mean, I want to see what they do on a first road trip. Kind of give you some thoughts on my give you my thoughts on how they're playing on their first true road trip of the season. So well, take a look for that sometime early next week, and then Thanksgiving comes up. I mean, who knows what will produce Thanksgiving, but. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. We'll try and get a podcast out before Thanksgiving, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll be interesting. We're going to have to do two podcasts with me on the road. I'll be in New York. Uh, I'm going on the New York trip. Should be a lot of fun. And then I'm going to see the mullet. So ah. that's that's my December. So the first part of December, I'm on the road, baby. We're going to take the neutral zone on the road. All right. Should be fun. The Sharks, look, they placed the red, all of a sudden, red hot St. Louis, uh, Capitals West, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and and they, they'll take them on tomorrow. Uh, we'll see if Bennington gets into any any stuff, but he's been quiet this year. But uh, it should be fun. I think we might see Joel Holford, but we'll see. But, Paul, uh, is, plug anything you want. I'll wrap us up here. Uh, just check out THN.com slash Vegas, and we'll see you soon, guys. Yes, sir. All right. For my NTHN.com slash San Jose. All of the rest of our team sites are putting out terrific, terrific content. Check out the THN archive. I know our people and our people above us, Paul, will love that I've said that. Mm-hmm. Our archive is awesome. You can see all the digital magazines and all the stuff that we've done from the start of the hockey news, all 76 years of rich history. For Paul De Los Santos, I'm Max Miller. Follow both of us on Twitter. You can see that below. Thanks, Paul, for the editing. And uh, this has been episode six of the Neutral Zone. We'll catch you guys next time.